to the Liberty Blues. Uh, I'm Sean Osborne. I'm here today with uh, Randall Daniel, the new um, the uh, new chair of the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, and Byron Cabbage. And you're a county coordinator, right? I am actually an at-large for the District 4 of LPKY. What is an at-large, by the way? Um, basically, I represent all the uh, dues-paying members in the district. Okay. I represent okay. them on the XCOM. Yeah. So I guess we should get right right down to it. I got I got I got a good question for all of you. What's the best bourbon in Kentucky? Anything other than Jim Bean. <laughs> yeah. Jim Bean gets a lot of local subsidy. And it's yeah. uh, actually what sparked my involvement with the party is fighting back at corporate welfare and eminent domain. So anything other than Jim Bean, I'm personally a fan of uh, Buffalo Trace. Haven't had it. Yeah, I've, I've been on a bit of a bourbon kick of late. And uh, uh, huge fan it? of Willet. Huh? I'm a huge fan of Willet bourbon. I haven't heard of that. Are they are they, are they, are they uh, local to like the areas you guys live in or nationally? Uh, I believe it's made in Bardstown, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, uh, Willet is over in Bardstown. Um, I don't know if he would want it known, but one of their executives is actually a, is a libertarian who's worked on some of our campaigns. Nice. Uh, so, Willett is a good That's great. That's cool. All right. So, now, so, back, so back to some libertarianism. So, how, how did you guys, well, you said that that was one of the things that got you into it. How did you, how'd you guys end up being um, libertarians? Well, Byron, do you want first or second? Uh, you can go ahead. All right. Well, for me, it was a lot of eminent domain issues. Um, uh. my, my father's a farmer and uh, before him, his father, and so on far back have been, you know, mostly farmers. Uh, my mother's family as well. So we have some property, some ground that's been in our family for generations. And after my dad got a letter from the Louisville Water Company um, wanting to uh, do a right-of-way on 100 acres that would have lost him his water rights, essentially, to that property, uh -huh. uh, started fighting that in, um, you know, in court. And he ended up spending a whole lot more money than he was ever offered for the property itself. Um, I believe his offer from the company was $2,500 for a right-of-way on 100 acres, which is absurd. And the court found it yeah. to be absurd. Um, but my dad ended up spending um, tens of thousands of dollars in fighting it and ultimately just got a reprieve. But um, it, it, it really highlighted some of the issues of government overstep. And so when a few of my neighbors just down the road started to also have issue with eminent domain, and I knew that a lot of them weren't able to the same voice my dad had um, because either they didn't have the money or because they were active duty military and weren't going to be able to be as uh, bolsterous in the community about it in fear of jeopardizing their careers. Well, um, I stepped up and started to, you know, speak on their behalf a little bit uh, with their consent, of course. But I got a little bit of a reputation as being a county heckler. Um, you know, <laughs> um, I'd go to my fiscal court meetings, city council meetings, things like that. And in my county, just south of Louisville, it's actually a Republican monopoly. Um, it's kind mm -hmm. of positioned itself as being the, um, the antithesis of Louisville. And yet somehow they're completely just subsidizing Louisville, um, Louisville Water, Louisville Gas and Electric, um, or Fort Knox, for example. Um, mm -hmm. My family had a history of Fort Knox coming in, giving a two weeks notice and eminent domaining the entire town we were from. Um, the, it's, it's atrocious, but they took 40,000 acres. Um, Man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, eminent domain is what got me sparked. And with there being a monopoly party, I had to come up with another solution. So I started going to um, both Democrat and Republican meetings to no, to no avail, uh, going to, you know, the local city meetings and the county level meetings to no avail. And eventually my girlfriend, Reagan, said, well, you know, you've always, you know, propound, you know, put yourself out there as a libertarian. Why don't you go to a libertarian meeting and I looked <laughs> around and I didn't see any. So I ended up driving the um, the two hours to my closest libertarian party meeting and i met with one man in a barnes and noble and we had coffee and he appointed me to be a county coordinator and he's like oh yeah this is an unusual attendance normally we have a lot more people than this and i'm like yeah i hope so because we really need a lot of people right 
Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, you're from which county? Bullet. Oh, okay. So um, we actually don't have a coordinator out there yet. So here's our rules book. Read it in its entirety. Memorize that and spin up a county affiliate. And I was like, awesome. Great. So you're going to empower me to be able to put candidates on the ballot and push back and do all of these things. He's like, yeah. So I go and spin up a county party and I come back to him and he's like, awesome. Can you teach me how to do that? Um, so, you know, we then spin up his county party and, um, you know, we get the one adjacent to him and the next one adjacent to me. And we started to get a few of them spinning up. But mm -hmm. my district here in uh, Kentucky went from just being um, this one man who had been holding it together for years to being a small little army of us and spinning up and self-replicating. But apparently I spun up the now oldest county party in my state. Um, so there wasn't anybody else, you know, carrying that torch uh, other than me and Chris who got me started in it. Um, yeah. That's what got me involved in politics. That's what's got me involved in the Libertarian Party. And I've been moving up in the party here in Kentucky to try to, you know, get more resources available to the others trying to do the same. That's great. Yeah. You know, the, that whole eminent domain thing is such an important issue too. Uh, you know, you know, the constitution is supposed to protect uh, property, right? It's about, you know, right up there with everything else. And, you know, the uh, eminent domain is just horrible the way that they use it. You know, I'm out here in Los Angeles and they have the whole thing where they took, uh, you know, they took a whole bunch of people's houses and stuff to make uh, Dodger Stadium, you know. Uh, so, you know, there, there's, there's always an issue, good, good issues to fight the government on that kind of stuff. Unfortunately. Yeah. So how about you, Byron? Oh, man. Uh, so let's see with me. I guess it started uh, years ago when I was a little kid. I'm talking young. Uh, there was a KET special, I do believe, that was Milton Freeman's Free to Choose. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. For some reason, the, the speech about the pencil um, – kind of stuck in my head and resonated with me through most of my childhood and growing up. Um, I don't know, let's see, about 20, 21 years old, uh, when I was a lot younger before the kid and all that, uh, working two jobs, had a roommate, a crazy roommate, but uh, her boyfriend ended up being a really cool dude who uh, I ended up connecting with. And I remember one night we were partying and the uh, presidential elections were on. This was in uh, 08 and uh, Ron Paul was on. And uh, you know, what he said really resonated. And then again, in 2012, it really, really resonated. Um, and then going forward from that, I realized, you know, the Republican Party had nothing to offer me. Um, you know, I grew up in a generation where a lot of the people that I grew up with in school, um, a lot of them got strung out on pain pills and opiates. And then, um, you know, in Kentucky, they passed laws and cracked down on that stuff. Um, I've seen a lot of these people get addicted to other things, crystal meth, heroin, all that stuff. Um, and the government wasn't really offering them any solutions um, other than force, you know, locking them up and putting them away. Um, so I looked around for a long time. Um, you know, the first thing you do is you look at the National Party. And for me, it was just kind of like, eh, uh, didn't really uh, didn't really like their messaging or anything like that. And uh, not a fan of Sarwak whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. But then moving forward, you know, I seen the Johnson campaign. Uh, I started to notice a little bit was going on here in Kentucky. Um, I had spent a couple of years traveling around uh, with my deceased uh, fiance. And uh, we went to states like Florida, Tennessee, um, all that stuff. And uh, I noticed that, you know, a lot of people kind of felt the same way. Um, so I came back to Kentucky um, after my fiance had passed away. Uh, me and Matthew Butts had became really good friends back during the Johnson campaign. Um, mm -hmm. One night we had sat down and we had to talk about national and how we didn't really like messaging or anything. And then we felt like party structure was missing. We should be really focusing on the local races that were winnable. Um, we didn't understand why there was just the presidential campaign and occasionally maybe you see somebody else on the ballot. Um, take in mind, this is new before I had actually jumped into the party. I had just kind of looked at it. Um, moving forward, you know, Matt got involved with the party, eventually got me involved. Um, I reached out to Randall. Uh, one of my passions was I wanted to spin up county parties so we could run people at the local and state level um, and really have a chance of kind of changing things and spreading liberty moving forward. Um, and that's kind of been it ever since I got with Randall. Randall said, hey, find me three people in the county. We'll spin up an affiliate. Um, moving forward, we got two working on three. Nice. You know, uh, I was going to ask you how you got uh, hooked up at the Mises Caucus, but when you said Matthew Butts, I, I, I know how you did <laughs> Right. Yeah, he's he, pretty well known. He's out here spreading the word out here in California now. So uh, he's doing a lot of good work out here. Uh, 
so that that uh, that's that's I, so that's how you got involved. Had you uh, had you read any of the like say uh, the Rothbard or the Mises uh, literature before, or have you? Um, yeah, I read a little bit of Thomas Sowell and stuff like that. Uh, Matt turned me on to Rothbard, and I've read several Rothbard books. I have, I work full time and have a kid, so I get to it when I can. Uh, but I've yeah. read like Anatomy yeah. of the State and stuff like that. Uh -huh. I just, uh, I just, you know, I was uh, one of the libertarians that didn't read anything. I just knew I didn't like the government, but I've, I've started to try to get better at it. You know, I just read the um, the Great Depression by Rothbard and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So I just read uh, Liberalism by Mises. Uh, that was really good. So trying trying to get the you know better uh, scholarly outlook on it, just not my anarchy kind of views. How about you, Randall? Are you, are you involved with the, uh, the Mises Caucus too? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, one of the state coordinators here in Kentucky. How are you? Um, yep. Yeah. Um, they backed me for chair. They've backed me in several other, um, you know, um, operations here in Kentucky. And believe it or not, I think it was actually Matthew Butts who uh, first reached out to me in regards to the Mises Caucus. So uh, he gets credit there again. Yeah. Matt yeah, definitely a, gets around. Uh, hopefully, we get him back one day. Uh, he'll be battle hardened coming back from California. <laughs> <laughs> he's out here in the trenches. Out here, he's lucky. He's up in Kern County, though. So he's not. I'm in Los Angeles County, so I'm right in the belly of this uh, of, all, of all of it, man. So, you know, I, I work here with Angela on a lot of uh, Angela McArdle. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys uh, will be uh, happy to vote for her for chair in, in uh, next year. You know. Because uh, she's running uh, for chair of the whole LP. So who 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 did you run against for uh, chair of Kentucky? Well, uh, unfortunately, I had two people to run against, uh, both mm -hmm. who I would consider friends, though. Uh, uh -huh. One ran a very clean race, unfortunately. One did go a little negative, which is regrettable. Uh -huh. um, the other who went negative, though, was also a member of the Mises Caucus. Huh. Um, and he has actually since changed registration, if I'm not mistaken, to Republican because he intends to run as one. Um, huh. I wish him the best of luck in that endeavor. Um, I think it's futile, but uh, the lights will be on and the door will be open for when he wants to come home. I think he's yeah. find that he's much too radical for them. Um, the other who ran was uh, Robert Perry, who ran for Congress out here in Kentucky. I actually had the privilege of uh, managing his campaign for a while. And he was a good candidate. He talks a lot about party growth and unity. And when he ran for chair, he talked a lot about party growth and unity. Um, that being said, though, I uh, I happened to beat him in the vote. Um, but you know, he he was mostly running as a uh, as a unity option between the descent of Jacob and myself. Uh, that's cool. Well, let's take a little break and come back. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the um, that that whole unity aspect of things. So let's take a little break and come right back. Hi, thanks for listening to the Liberty Blues Network. Make sure and check out all three podcasts on our network. We have the Liberty Blues, a progressive and a libertarian walking to a bar, and Libertarian Los Angeles. Let us know what you think of the podcast and rate, review, follow, or whatever you can, wherever you listen. Thanks. Now back to the show. Well, we're back. So we were talking hey, about uh, Sean. Hold on a second. Sean John's here right now. So oh, okay, John's back. Uh, yeah. Hey, John, how's it going? Hello, I'm here. All right. Did you? Uh, I want to. Uh, so I'll come back in right now. And uh, did you have any questions you wanted to ask right offhand, John? No, I'm good. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, all right. So we're back. Um, so let's talk about this unity aspect. So, um, you know, there is a little bit of a argument between some people and thinking I'd say the Mises caucus is a certain kind of way with the, with the language. But I mean, I, I've listened to like what Dave Smith and a lot of the other guys say, and I don't think it sounds as hostile as what some people are making it out to sound. Um, what ways will you reach out to all the other libertarians who like say aren't in the caucus, maybe in the Prags or the uh, any of the other caucuses or the, the, the non-affiliated people here in Kentucky, um, yeah. well, as far as organization of the other caucuses go, it's Mises or bust. Um, we have one member of the Radical Caucus that I'm aware of, uh, or uh -huh. that is aware of, and that's uh, Dr. Don Stacy, good friend, 
and a good uh, ally to, you know, like getting Kentucky on a good pathway. Um, those that claim the, the pragmatic caucus, I don't know of any in the state of Kentucky that are organized and doing anything to that effect. Um, uh, it, it's basically there's those who wish to not associate with any caucus as their priority is Kentucky issues rather yeah. than national. And then there's those of us in the Mises caucus who are concerned with both. Ah, that's cool. So you don't have a big fight on your hands. That's good. Because I know some states like uh, Nevada, no. they had a hell of a, have a hell of a fight on their hands at times. I think they did pretty good in the, in the um, recent, uh, uh, what do you call it, convention. Mm -hmm. so so yeah, how, how was the Kentucky convention oh it was a lot of fun unfortunately we did have some Mises infighting though uh yeah. you know because uh you know um when you have three people running and both and two out of three are both affiliated with the Mises caucus you know <laughs> that's kind of I mean when you've only got one party on the ballot within the part you know it's it's just bound to happen uh originally, yeah, yeah. originally he ran because he wanted there to be a um a, an option b you know uh, mm. We as libertarians like more options, and I can't fault him for that. Um, you know, it's it's good to have more options on ballots. And um, it ended up not being that divisive to have somebody else run. And it ended up being a really good convention. We had a panel of our um, of our prior candidates come up and speak about, you know, their experiences running last cycle, what they would do different for next cycle. And um, we talked about, um, you know, we, we got a big rules package change. We cut down from nearly 60 pages to under 20. So that's good. You know, less rules there. Um, the venue treated us well. We had uh, Joe Jorgensen present as a speaker. Um, we hope to have Spike in an upcoming year. We hope to have uh, anybody else who's seeking national office to come out in upcoming years. Mm -hmm. um, overall, it was a good one. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a little smaller than some of our prior ones, but um, I think that that's just, you know, there, there's going to be a periodic retraction at times and uh, that's just a rubber band ready to snap forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Kentucky's got, uh, you know, people like Rand Paul and Thomas Massey. So, you know, it seems like the state leans kind of libertarian anyhow. So uh, do you, do you have uh do you, do you see that, like, because I know from somebody from outside of Kentucky, do you see that as the case that Kentucky's kind of a libertarian state because of, you, you do have those kind of guys elected, even though they're Republicans? Well, uh, Byron, would you like to take this one? I took the last one, or we could both take them. Uh, I'll give a little bit, and then you can give a little bit. Um, so in my opinion, anyways, uh, Kentucky's a rather interesting state. Um, you know, you've seen the interviews where uh, or the debates with Dave Smith and Eric Brakey. And, uh, you know, especially up in New Hampshire, the thing is, you know, the Liberty Republicans and Libertarians want to work with each other. That's um, not so much the case here in Kentucky. Uh, they often try to use us as a crutch and as the fall boy for a lot of their mistakes. Um, you know, Kentucky, the legislators like 80 percent Republican. Um, we have a Democrat governor because they ran a governor candidate who sucked. Um, obviously, they blame that on us. But um, that seems to be an issue we have here really in the state is a. Uh, they end up trying to use us as a crutch. Um, the past four years, we kind of stifled ballot access. Um, there were a lot of things put into place that actually, I feel, prevented the party from growing. Um, when I became a county coordinator, there were zero affiliates that started in District 4. Um, it was falling apart. I remember the first District 4 chair that I talked to was a commie and basically told me <laughs> because my friends were with Mises, that I was a racist and a white supremacist and had me judged coming into the party before even having the first conversation with me. Um, moving forward, we've got a great guy in the District 4 uh, chair now. Um, like I've said, we're working on, we've got three counties set to affiliate now. We've got a few more that we're working on. Um, and the goal is to affiliate all of them. You know, we're in Thomas Massey's district. And uh, I don't know, in a state with so much Republican representation, um, they pass a lot of awful laws. Like we have a SB 211 that's a real hot topic right now that's going on. Um, that was passed by Republicans. Uh, my Republican senator passed that bill in the Senate. Uh, basically, this bill states that, you know, you can get in trouble. You can go to jail for 90 days for insulting a police officer or having a disagreement with them. Um, and that kind of stuff's wrong. And I think a lot of the younger Republicans are starting to wake up to that. Um, but it's always that issue where kind of uh, there are no Democrats in the state for the most part other than the big cities. So it's almost like we're fighting for that spot, of you know, the second party in the state. And um, the Liberty Republicans see that as a threat. It almost comes off as. Uh -huh. Yeah, you touched on a few good things there. Like so. So that law, yeah, that 
that thing, it's like just just insulting a cop and get you time in jail, right? Yep. It, it, man, that, it's that really is. ambiguous, and you could potentially, based on a cop having a bad day, you could have something playing on your radio that that cop found offensive, and they could cuff you for it. Holy shit. Absolutely. And uh, we have a few officers in the state of Kentucky that are actually douchebag members of the Libertarian Party who have uh, been anonymously coming out and speaking up about this um, because of department policies and stuff like that. It's not always exactly easy for them to step out and say something, uh, but they are speaking up against it. To add insult to injury, they passed that through the Senate the day before the anniversary of the shooting of Breonna Taylor. Ah, shit. Man, yeah. that, 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 that is crazy. I'm yeah, sure that, they would have put it on the right day, you know, like that specific day, had it not been for the weekend getting in their way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to, to get it totally lost in the media. So, yeah, another thing that you had talked about, well, uh, hey, John, had you heard about that? Because John's a defense attorney up in Indiana. Had you heard about that law? I have not heard about that. But that sounds like it might be in violation of maybe, I don't know, the, the Kentucky Constitution. But it sounds like that type of law may run afoul of uh, the Indiana Constitution, and maybe the you know Kentucky Supreme Court may have something to say about that. Has the law passed? Uh, uh, it passed the Senate, not the House. Well, it might have passed the House because it was up for a vote today. So, oh, yeah, Man, you got to go check uh, the records. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Indiana's big thing that they they have is their uh, their asset forfeiture. Uh, seizure and stuff. So, man, they're they're really trying really hard to be able to take people's property up there. Have you had to deal with that much up there, John? Um, not too much. I know there was a, a fairly recent uh, case in Indiana where uh, basically a guy is driving like a forty thousand dollar Range Rover and he gets pulled over for an OWI and the police take it. Um, and the and the Supreme Court said, okay, that you you've gone too far. And so things have kind of swung back the other direction quite a bit since that decision. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's always going back and forth, you know. Man, I get that, man, that government overreach is just crazy with some of that stuff. That's just terrible. Um, and so the, the other thing you had talked about in there was uh, the, the governor's race. So you guys are stuck with Bajir now because the, the Republicans ran somebody that was awful. Uh, is uh, who, who ran for the Libertarians? Hicks? Yeah, uh, that would be John Hicks when he's the state at large now. He is. Okay, as I was asking if he's still active. Uh, so uh, what, what's he been up to? Well, um, after his election, he ended up having to take a little bit of time off for medical reasons. Unfortunately, uh -huh. he had a battle with cancer towards the end of his gubernatorial uh, oh, run. And I was working on his campaign throughout that run, and he had kept it to himself about it um, until after the run had concluded. Um, he didn't want to worry anybody working with him. But at the same time, you know, it's like, wow, John, you're, you're not only trying to change the state of Kentucky, but you're doing so while battling cancer. You know, that's yeah, uh, he, he was just really doing a service to our party. But um, he, he needed to take a little time to, you know, recoup, recover. But he's he's back. He's at large and in charge. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, John. Back. Um, the Republicans, they ran a really poor candidate um, to speak to that. Um, that's why they lost. Um, he went up to Northern Kentucky where the most pressing issue was toll bridges. And he talked about how they were going to put more tolls on bridges. And he came out to my county where the most pressing issue is eminent domain. And he flat told me um, when I you know, asked him a question in an interview um, that if I didn't like eminent domain, then I should leave the country. Holy shit. He was a very unlikable man. <laughs> oh, man, shit. Yeah, I yeah, I would say. Uh damn, I don't even know what to say after that. It's like you should leave the country. God damn. He almost <laughs> lost the Republican primary to a man who was recently arrested for having strangled his own wife with an Ethernet cord. Oh shit. You know, the Liberty Republicans though, they love their eminent domain because it's in the Constitution <laughs> after all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a trip. So um, let's take a little break again re real quick and then come back and talk about like um, how, how, how you get your, uh, your uh, counties active. See if we can hit some other people in Kentucky to start uh, getting a hold of you guys. So let's take a break real quick and come back with that.
Hi everyone, this is Sean Osborne. Please check out my album Head in the Sand wherever you stream music. If you'd like to hear music about the crap that they call news, that is nothing but a bunch of editorials and opinions, this is the album for you. If you want to hear music about the authoritarian right and the authoritarian left and how they want to shove their ways down your throat, please stream it and share it with your friends. And now back to the show. So yeah, let's talk about how you get an a, 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 an affiliate going in a county, and like what what you went through to do that, or like what you suggest to anybody who's in a county who's not affiliated and hasn't heard anything. Who should they contact to try to get a hold of this kind of information? Well, they're welcome to contact myself or their district chairs. Uh, contacts for that will be at lpky.org, or if there's no objection from the host, I'll give my personal cell phone number. Yeah, go go for it. It's uh, 502-601-1973 if you're in Kentucky or anywhere else in the nation and would like more information in regards to county affiliates, please call, text, day or night. Um, but the first step is getting a hold of somebody within the current party structure. Um, they'll help mentor you through the process. But the short version is that Kentucky state law requires that any legalized, uh, any legally recognized political party has a minimum of three officers being a chair, a secretary, and a treasurer. Um, now, if we're filing with KREF, which is the Kentucky Registration of Election Finance, then we must remain compliant with that. So if somebody wants to spin up an affiliate that collects uh, holds or disperses funds either in support of a candidate or an activism, then they need to be KREF compliant. And so they need to find two friends, one of which is punctual with accounting, and that would be the bare minimum. Those three people in the same geographic county coming together to spin up that affiliate. Um, now, if they don't intend on holding, um, collecting, or expending any funds, then we can appoint them as a county coordinator and we can even still affiliate them as a county party. Um, however, that county party would be recognized by our organization, not by the state of Kentucky. So there's a little bit of a separation there. So if we need to spin up a county with two people because we can't find somebody who's good at bookkeeping, we can do so as of our most recent rules change. Um, mm -hmm. They would have to go to their district party to handle any sort of financials. Um, so, you know, there's a little trade off there. We can run a little more Spartan now, but it it would be best if um, anybody out there looking to spin up a county party went ahead and found themselves and two friends so that they'd be able to nominate candidates and support those candidates to the best of their abilities. That's pretty sweet. That, that, that I like to think somebody's got to at least have a couple of friends who'd be down for it. Well, we are libertarians, so we tend not to have very many friends. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a bit of an introvert myself, but, you know, yeah, you know, the, you know, like minds tend to get together. So hopefully, hopefully that can happen. People get out there and uh, do that. What's up? Um, has uh, Is Brad Barron still active in the party? Yeah, yeah. He lives um, down in Bowling Green, same area as Rand Paul. Uh, he was at our convention this, you know, prior weekend, and he gave me a pretty good endorsement. Uh, I really appreciate him doing that. Um, you know, he, he spoke to my accomplishments when I was working on his campaign team. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, a, a mutual, you know, um, uh, beneficial <laughs> situation there. But yeah, yeah. Brad's still active. You know, he, he, no one else in Kentucky uh, is as good at bashing the Republicans on social media and calling out their bad votes and then rallying a lot of their base. Um, you know, Brad got over 80,000 votes here in Kentucky which is a substantial showing compared to a lot of our prior candidates. Um, uh, he got nearly three times that or a hair more than three times that of Joe Jorgensen in Kentucky. Um, yeah. Really good at the messaging. And he brought in a lot of people from that Liberty Republican camp and made them realize that, you know, um, what you see a lot from your Liberty Republicans in Kentucky is simply rhetoric and very little action. So, and yeah. that's the thing with Brad, too. One thing that really got him was COVID. Uh, had Brad been able to get out to a lot of the state fairs and stuff, I feel like he would have done much, much better. Uh, he pulled really high in the beginning, but uh, COVID definitely shut his ground game down a whole lot. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, what with the governor and all shutting down churches and 
everything else that went on during this time. Yeah, I really, I, I really uh, like his messaging and everything. I thought he did a great job. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing him on stage with McConnell, but you know, we all saw he was scared to be up there. Yeah, Brad scared off McConnell. Now, if only, <laughs> was great. if only he can scare McConnell completely out of the state. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right out of government. Yeah. So, um, what kind of, like, what kind of message are you like? I don't know. I, I guess the chairs handle things different and everything. What, what are you going to see as like your job as the chair? Like what kind of message do you, would you like to put out to like those Liberty Republicans trying to get them to come over to the Libertarian party or, or, uh, non-voting Kentuckians? Well, you know, I think we've had a long game of rhetoric with the Liberty Republicans. And I think that what they're really craving is results. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to debate them as much on the philosophy. I, I, I like to think that they have a basic understanding of libertarian philosophy. Usually the criticism that's levied is, but can I get elected? Can I see a change as a libertarian? And so I'm going to make it my mission as the Libertarian Party Chair of Kentucky that we will get libertarians elected at all levels within Kentucky and that we will prove ourselves as being the premier vehicle for liberty in Kentucky. Yeah, are there are there any elected officials in uh, Kentucky that are libertarians? Yeah, we've had a few, mostly at the city council and magistrate level. Uh, uh, we've also had some recent, um, you know, um, new records set in House and Senate races for our party. Um, we've had some House candidates get twenty percent, which you know is shy of election for sure, but it puts us, you know, within a much closer margin than we've been in years past. And we even had a, uh, a state Senate candidate. Uh, break 22%. So, oh. uh, you know, we're, we're starting to do pretty well. Um, but um, most of our successes have been at that local level. And so I'd like to encourage people to continue to build on that success by running for your mayoral or um, sheriff's race, uh, your city council or magistrate, because it's those officials who have more to do with your day-to-day -day life than whomever is in the White House. Yeah. What, what's Kentucky like for ballot access for the for people who are thinking about like starting a, an affiliate or, um, you know, just even running for office? Like how hard is it to, to get on the ballot in Kentucky? Well, we did lose ballot access and this election, but uh, Randall could probably speak to this more than I could. Well, Byron, don't let me uh, over talk too much as uh, everybody in Kentucky is aware I'm very long winded. <laughs> um, I've never heard that. Not one time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm notorious. Every time somebody calls me for a five minute call, it takes two hours. Mm. Um, Byron. Yeah. Yeah. He's shaking. I, I can speak to this. I can definitely speak to this. But um, ballot access in Kentucky is going to be something moving forward. That's going to be a little bit of a hurdle, but I think of it as an opportunity for us to train um, over the last few years where we've had automatic ballot inclusion, our party's ground game has languished. Um, we did not have a lot of boots on the ground during the COVID pandemic course, you know, because the governor was saying, no, we'll lock you up if you do. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, it's unfortunate that even the year or two prior to that, our ground game was a little bit lacking. And so I think that it's going to be a hard learned lesson now that we have not met our ballot access threshold. In Kentucky, that would be set by 2% of the presidential popular vote for the state. Uh, Joe Jorgensen came just shy of that mark, so um, we will have to petition for ballot access, and the amount of petition, you know, the, uh, the amount of signatures required will vary by race. So if it's a statewide race, it's as many as 5,000 for governor, lieutenant governor, and the like, as well as for, you know, U.S. Congress, uh, you know, Senate. Um, and then it goes all the way down to some of your more local races being only in the double digits, um, with state house rep being a hundred. Mm -hmm. hundred signatures? Yes. A hundred verified okay. signatures. Uh, okay. so you don't have to raise about double that amount because, you know, they're going to scrutinize every one, but I think of it as a good opportunity to raise the minimum that our, um, that our minimum candidate is doing. Um, in the last few years we've had, because of automatic inclusion, We'd have the occasional libertarian who would pay their two hundred or so dollar filing fee, and their name would be on the ballot, and that would be the extent of their campaign. 
But uh-huh. that same candidate were to go out and ask 10 friends for a $100 donation apiece and collect 100 signatures so that they can be on that ballot. Um, not only now could they afford a website and yard signs and bumper stickers, but they're also knocking roundabout a couple hundred doors, which, you know, if they have a few free weekends over the course of a couple of months, it's not an unreasonable ask, and it would be actually a pretty good vehicle for getting our people out there and exposed to new people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to add on to that. I think a, a big issue we suffered with ballot access, too, would be uh, it seems like our party had ballot access for four years, but then in that four years, we failed to build any of the infrastructure locally, and that, like, grassroots kind of movement um, to be able to defend it when it came around. So like, it really shouldn't have mattered who the candidate was. We should have had the boots on the ground to do that. And unfortunately we didn't build that infrastructure uh, prior to the race moving forward. I, I feel very confident that's going to be a whole lot different. Yeah. You learn from your mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's good. So is that something you do as, as an at large, you know, run, uh, doing that kind of stuff? Uh, yes, that's basically my goal. Uh, right here in District 4, uh, there are currently three at-larges. Um, and basically, working amongst ourselves, we kind of divided our district into three separate areas. Um, and I've been basically just one at a time working on counties. Uh, I have a real knack for finding libertarians that are like me, that just kind of like want to be left alone uh, uh-huh. and getting them involved. Um, and like I said, uh, here in the western part of District 4, which is we butt up right next to Louisville, um, I'm working on spinning up all those counties surrounding that city. Um, we have we the second largest population of libertarians is actually in Oldham County, which borders Louisville. Um, so that's kind of been what I've really been focused on. I want to, uh, there are 19 counties in my district. And by the time 2022 comes around, I'd like to have at least half those spun up, uh, especially in any county we plan on running a race. Um, I feel like that's very important. Our candidates shouldn't be out there running races by themselves, they should have a local party to be able to turn to that's going to get out there and help them campaign and uh, help spread our message. Uh, even when we have these Liberty Republicans and stuff like that, um, we can always force the issue and force them to do better. Because um, let's face it, there's certain things that they're horrible on, like eminent domain. Yeah. How, how is the, how is the, you know, I, I know like, um, in Indiana, they're fighting to try to get better gun rights, you know, for like uh, concealed carry and stuff. How, how's that stuff in Kentucky? Well, we uh, just had a they refer to it as constitutional carry, but it's not a constitutional uh-huh. amendment. Um, but essentially, it was a it was a bill that legalized the wearing of a jacket in conjunction with a firearm. Um, so now you can. <laughs> If you're legally allowed to carry said firearm, you do not need a concealed carry permit to do so with a jacket or other, you know, garment or so. Uh-huh. Overall, Kentucky's pretty good, I guess. But you know, uh, my position is that all gun laws are infringements. So, uh, for as long as there's any gun law on the book limiting my ability or anyone else's ability to procure a firearm, um, I would have to say that we're not that good. But comparatively. We're doing better than most. A hell of a lot better than I got it out here in L.A., that's for sure. <laughs> uh, me personally, I have this issue, like it's just a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand when politicians run on the fact that, hey, I'm Second Amendment. Like, uh, congratulations on being pro-Constitution. We're electing you to uphold the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't need to reassure me that that's what you're going to do. And it turns out that's all lies and bullshit anyways, and we all know that. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of the thing out here. <laughs> How about like say for uh teachers like with school choice and that kind of stuff what what's up with Kentucky uh in 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 those kind of things like with school choice and everything downright awful <laughs> really uh yes, I'm sure Randall could speak to this as well, but uh it's basically just public or private schools uh there's no charter schools or anything like that, and the teachers' union is just uh they're a monstrosity in Kentucky um they have the ability, even with Republicans in the legislature, to uh, simply get their way. Uh, yeah, we we had Donald Rainwater on the podcast, and he he, he talked a lot about returning the uh, power of of the schools to the to the local people instead of like the school board, you know, bringing it back to the you know teachers at an individual school or the parents and that kind of stuff. Is that, is that kind of the model you guys would like to talk about? Like if you were going to talk to like say teachers and try Mm -hmm. to get more of a libertarian uh, 
educators. Yeah, this is a debate that I've had quite a bit with my own mother. She retired as a teacher after 28 years. Um, you know, I've, I've got what you could probably say is one of the most classic upbringing, uh, upbringings. Uh, my, my father is a farmer. My mom is a teacher. I have an older brother who's in the military and a younger sister who married a guy who's in the military. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I got a very, you know, classic Kentucky upbringing in a way. <laughs> my, my mother, uh, she retired as a teacher. She was a teacher for uh, 28 years. And she was a big proponent for uh, public education. Um, I've had the debate with her several times. And I think I've eventually brought her around to the fact that, um, that it was actually the public school system that made her feel inadequate as a teacher. There were several students that she had a lot of difficulty in teaching. And she was constantly pigeonholed, uh, pigeonholed into um, various lesson plans and um, policies of the government that actually hindered her ability to work with that student to the best of that student's needs. And also she was so spread thin as a teacher, having class sizes of 30, 35 kids at times. So, you know, that, that's, the, that's a bad ratio. Um, you can't be as attentive as a lot of kids need when you're having to deal with 30 or more. Um, and so I think I've actually sold her back on to the whole, um, you know, for the amount of money that each of those students uh, that their parents had paid in property tax and other, uh, had they been able to then take that money in its entirety and hire a teacher directly, we would have been looking at a fraction of those class sizes and those kids would have had a much better quality education without um, using force to take people's property to subsidize that. Well, and that leads to another thing. Uh, Kentucky is an extremely horribly oversubsidized state, whether it be coal, tobacco, uh, you name it. And even with the schools and everything, uh, we definitely bring in more money from the federal government than we send out. Um, when well, it comes to financial irresponsibility, we might be worse than the federal government. I, I would <laughs> argue with Byron on that one. I feel like from, yeah, uh, coming from an agrarian background, um, the farmers don't need the federal government. The farmers know how to farm. They don't need those subsidies. Mm -hmm. um, it is actually no, I absolutely agree on that. It is the federal government who manipulates the market and makes it seem like farmers are unproductive. But farmers are the backbone of any society. Um, you know, a farmer used to be the landowner, used to be a very affluent person. And the only reason why they're forced into impoverishment or otherwise is because of the government's manipulation of those markets. Well, and I would agree with that. And that boils over into cannabis, you know, with tobacco being a oh, yeah. dying market in Kentucky, they could open up the cannabis industry, but uh, they're choosing not to because, well, Brandle knows the answer as to why. Um, you can all take a guess at that. McConnell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. McConnell. Yeah, because uh, are you guys allowed to grow hemp there yet? Well, that still, um, oh, yeah. So uh, for industrial or CBD purposes, you can apply for permitting. Uh, my dad has grown hemp two years um, out of the last, I believe, three or four that it's been um, available to farmers here in Kentucky. Um, unfortunately, the way that market is manipulated is that while they're pretty eager to give out licensings for who can grow it, they're pretty restrictive on who can actually process it. And so they take an estimate of what the market is going to be. And then they issue licensing for twice that for, for growth. And then the processors, what they'll do is rather than you bring them your product that needs to be processed, instead of paying them cash to process it, what they'll do is they'll um, take half of the yield of the final product and that would be their you know, payment for processing. And so since they issue about twice what the estimated market for the for uh, hemp would be in Kentucky, um, when the processors take half of everyone's crop, um, what you end up with is a farmer who has a uh, you know buckets of CBD tar sitting in their garage because they can't find a buyer for it, uh, or you know even more worse examples is they might have a 55 gallon barrel like a drum of CBD tar. Uh, or, you know, like oil sitting there because the market has, you know, like the, the buyers have already been satiated. There's not as much demand at that quantity. Man, that's crazy. That Man, that's just a perfect example of regulations just jacking things up. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, but at the same time, you couldn't just freely open up your own little roadside CBD oil store and sell that. 
So um, they, they, they completely control it on one end and allow the farmer to end up being stuck with basically what could just be a, you know, jacuzzi of CBD tar. Oh, man, well, that's, that's like crazy. even moving into medical marijuana. It's the uh, same issue we tend to face is uh, they're trying to slow walk it. They definitely want to monopolize it to where they can kind of get every penny possible out of it while screwing the small business owner. Yeah, you know, out here in L.A. or California, you know, that, you know, they, uh, you know, the first time it came up for legalization, um, it was it was very free. You know, the unions backed it. You know, there was almost no regulation on it. And they, you know, it lost by a percent. And then the next time it went through, it went through with all this regulation, all these crazy taxes. And, you know, they just and they'll still arrest people for for weed, you know, and it's crazy because you can still get arrested for it if you do the wrong thing with it. You know, if you give it to the wrong, you know, sell it to your friend or something like that. You know, they totally take out the small person out of it and don't allow somebody to be able to make money if they can do it on a local level or something like that and yeah just totally cronied it all up so that's probably probably the the county i live in sorry to speak over you Uh, the county i live in we actually have the uh, largest incarceration rate per capita in the state currently um our da is just awful they lock drug addicts up all the time out here um anything they could do to incarcerate you and make it a felony so they don't have to pick up the dab uh man that's crazy so so um Damn, that whole hip thing kind of tripped me out. Um, I think that's about it, it, it. Did did you have anything like what? Did, was there something about ballot access up in Indiana fairly recently, John? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, is Steve still on the call, or is he not on there? I'll ask him about yeah, like what what what's uh, what do you what do you think about like um, like the way that the teachers are like? Do you guys have any? Um, what are they called? The, 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 what are those schools called? Charter. Charter schools. Do you have charter schools or anything like that there? Yeah, we have charter and private and public. What do you think of those? Do you like the charters and stuff like that? And how's it worked out? I'll tell you what, it's tough because here's, here's my situation. Um, I'm a, I'm a member of our teachers union and obviously they are kind of anti spreading money around to public and private schools, but um, I teach at a, I teach at a public school, but my, uh, my kids went to private schools and I kind of counted on that money a lot. So I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, I get it, but mm. I'm all about choice, man. I feel like, I feel like you should be able to do what you want to do where you want to do it. Yeah. Choice is great. That, that's the whole idea. That's cool. So did, did you guys have anything else that you guys wanted to hit up before we got off of here? Well, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. It was a pleasure to meet you. And yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for all of the work of uh, people practicing nullification in California, which <laughs> inevitably led to the legalization and decriminalization to the degree that it's reached of marijuana in California. Um, yeah, we're starting to get mushrooms too. So uh, it's starting to have psychedelics are starting to get a, uh, little bit more uh push to get them freed up out here too yeah you definitely have to be the change that you want to see so go out there and nullify the bad laws right yeah and and, and we got nuisance on the uh we're we're recalling governor nuisance so that should be nice hopefully hopefully that'll go through good best of luck i hope you have more success with the removal <laughs> of your governor than i had with mine yeah so uh would you like to give out your information one more time before we get off of here Sure. Uh, my name is like any, any websites, uh, the Kentucky page or your number and all that good stuff. Excellent. And do you got, uh, you got, do you guys, does the Kentucky, uh, LP have a Twitter account or anything like that or Facebook? Both. Um, you can find the libertarian party of Kentucky on either Facebook, Twitter. Um, we also have uh, an Instagram and a few other, uh, I actually stay off of social media a lot. That's one of the primary criticisms of me of chair, I guess, is that, uh, <laughs> I'm not a much of a keyboard warrior. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we've got a wonderful guy, Christian Varney, who's running all of that. And he shores up my deficiencies there. Uh-huh. So you, you've actually taken, you, you actually just took up office already or what do you call it? Office or whatever? Yeah. Did you already yeah. start? Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you- uh, 30 minutes after we gaveled out, we had a meeting. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Uh, one last quick question. Do you guys, do you, do you talk to like the, 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 
chairs from the other parties, like from like bordering states like Indiana, Kentucky and stuff like that? Do you have much of a relationship with them? I'm trying to steward those relationships. I don't think that that's something that was really done much of prior by my predecessor. Um, uh, before we sign off, I'd like to extend to Brian, if you'll allow me, uh, the opportunity for him to share his information as well. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, uh, there's the feud with New Jersey on the Kentucky Facebook page. If you want to check that out, that's great. Uh, but no, you can reach me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Byron Cabbage. Uh, if you're in the 4th District, definitely reach out to me. Um, if not to me, Christian Varney, uh, he's the D4 chair, is also another good source. Um, but yet, definitely, if you're in Kentucky, reach out to us and get involved. Uh, and don't rely on the website. Sometimes it can be out of date. Uh, physically get out there and look for us. Uh, we really could use your help. We have ballot access to worry about and all that stuff. And uh, we're just trying to build a party. And that takes boots on the ground. Yeah. Did you guys want to give out the Mises Caucus information, too, or anything? Do you have the... Oh, for who to uh, contact within the Mises Caucus? Yeah, yeah. Same guys. Uh, you can contact me or Christian Varney or Byron Cabbage. Or <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, pretty much uh, top to bottom, um, you know, most of our district chairs are affiliated with Mises. Um, some of our county chairs are affiliated with Mises here in Kentucky. Um, and so it's either if you want to get involved with Mises directly, um, you know, you can reach out to me or Christian or Byron. Um uh, or you can sign up at, I believe it's what, um, Byron, what's the uh, URL for um, the Mises sign-up page? Ooh, I don't have that with I me right now. I think it's humanaction.com, yeah. I think. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was a .com or a .org. That always trips yeah, I think me it's, up. I think it's .com. Uh, but yeah, if, you, if it doesn't work for you on .com, try .org, but take human action. Yeah, or <laughs> hunt down Heiss on Facebook or something, right? Yeah, yeah, he's all over it. <laughs> Better so, uh, Matthew Butts, right? He'll find you. Yes, yes, yes. He's <laughs> Matthew doing, Butts doing will all find the good you. work out there. So shout out to Matthew Butts out there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, guys, and and uh, feel free. Like you know, if you got anything going on on the uh, in Kentucky, if you guys want to get it out there uh, on a podcast, I'm more than happy to have you guys on, and we'll talk about it and see if we can get it out there in the in the, the into the web. Well, thank you. Sounds fantastic. Yep. All right, cool. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys.